Hello and welcome to All Systems Argo. Kramer vs. Kramer is the best picture winner that we're looking at this week. Kramer vs. Kramer, written and directed by Robert Benton, was awarded the Oscar for Best Picture in 1980. Tackling themes of family and parenthood, this blast from the past was praised for being progressive for its time. Listen in as Jess, Jamal, and Guest see if this doozy of a movie holds up. And even if it does, could it possibly hold a candle to Ben Affleck's Argo? And more importantly, does it pass the Argo rule? Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to the Argo <laughs> rule. <laughs> oh, thanks for listening. Or actually, we realized that... We should have been calling this All Systems Argo the entire time. <laughs> it's too late now. It's too late. No, it's not too late. Yes, we can call it All Systems Argo. No, we can't. That's the catchphrase. Okay. Uh, <laughs> listeners, do you want that as the name or the catchphrase? Please send us mail. Oh. Written mail only. Envelopes. Written mail envelopes to the P.O. box that we don't have. We're joined today by <laughs> guest guest David David Thorpe. How are you doing, David? I'm doing all right. I've, I've now watched Argo again. Honestly, because <laughs> I watched it when it came out. <laughs> oh my gosh, David, wow. is that not how it feels? We've just I, watched Argo again. You've really tapped into the the beating heart of the podcast. <laughs> And I also watched Kramer v. Kramer for the first time. I still cannot understand why you chose Kramer v. Kramer. Okay, I will tell you why I chose Kramer v. Kramer. Because <laughs> it's the funniest pick I could think of was picking Kramer v. Kramer as our comparison movie this week. So that's that's a good lead in. The movie we watched this week on the Argo rule uh, well, was Argo, but beyond Argo, it was Kramer versus Kramer. Of course, famous law and divorce movie, Kramer versus Kramer, 1979. Dustin Hoffman, who sucks, and Meryl Streep, who does not suck. I mean, I hated Mamma Mia, but you know. <laughs> I mean, I I'm not saying she's never been in a, a bad movie. You know. <laughs> Mamma Mia. Here we go again. I'm crying. Mamma Mia, let me go. That's what Jess is saying. I mean, oh. quite literally, the like, I know Meryl Streep's a good actress, right? Because everybody tells me she's a good actress. <laughs> 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 but I have not seen enough movies with Meryl Streep in it to know firsthand. Like, <laughs> Meryl Streep does I, a good job in Kramer vs. Kramer. Yeah. Can I call it Kramer v. Kramer? No one's yes, going to get mad at me? No okay. one's going to get mad at you. I'm not going to get mad at you. We've explicitly highlighted that we're calling it Kramer v. Kramer. I mean, I'm not going to, but... I am very yeah. specifically going to because it's easier. This is KVK coming to you with the hottest hits from the movie Kramer vs. Kramer. That's right. We only play music from the movie Kramer vs. Kramer. Up next, that one song that's also in Grand Budapest Hotel. <laughs> Boy, do we really not want to talk about Kramer versus you Kramer? Can say or that what? Kramer v. Kramer is just like the court case. 
Oh, oh yeah, we don't want to talk about this movie. (laughs) Okay, so you got Dustin Hoffman, and he's a dick, and his wife leaves him, and then he's like, and leaves her kid, and then he gotta take care of kid, then she come back, want custody of kid. Uh, He's like, nah, I got used to actually liking this child I didn't know. Yeah, they he he say no, and then court case. Then, uh, women are bad. Yeah, so that is, uh, I guess, one of the major through lines of this movie. Is that, that uh, not the major through line? Women bad. You know that women's lib stuff. <laughs> oh my god! That is a line, listeners. In case you this, uh, have not seen Kramer v. Kramer in 1979, this was like considered even-handed which is insane it's wild that the movie thinks it's even-handed can we talk about how that drove me nuts? oh shit everybody shut up i'm crying (laughs) anyways everybody shut up i need to tell you what i did during kramer v kramer (laughs) okay i watched it with my friend jordan and to get my friend jordan to actually watch kramer v kramer I had to incentivize him so about every 15 minutes we took a break Uh, a three-minute break to watch commercials from the year 1990, as if the Kramer v. Kramer was being shown on TV. You did not. That's (laughs) phenomenal. so good. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. I had to hold off for two days telling you guys that I did that, but I did, in (laughs) fact, every about 15 to 25 minutes, me and Jordan would stop the movie and watch about three minutes of ads from the 90s. That is a legitimately genius bit. That's got to have added like 20 minutes onto the movie and it was worth it. It, Well, it it added 20 minutes onto the movie, but it did make the movie go faster. (laughs) Watching that movie straight through was not the move. Because, like, I remember we took an ad break after she left, and he went back inside to his house, and then we took an ad break because it really felt like one, and then I watched this one kid give his dad a Gillette razor, and he, the kid jumped really fucking high. He jumped so high! He jumped onto his dad's bed in the morning with a razor, and he jumped, like, six feet in the air! Anyways, that's what I did to tolerate Kramer v. Kramer, which is a bad way of putting it, because if I'm being honest, I don't hate Kramer v. Kramer, but I don't like Kramer v. Kramer. Uh, Kramer, there are things in this movie that feel very real and heartfelt. Mm Mm-hmm. I think the movie overall is uh, gross. He's gross (laughs) and bad. It is gross and bad. There are moments that land and are feel very well sketched. Spoilers for my opinion. uh, I feel like watching this, I was like, whoever wrote this felt really proud of themselves. Like, (laughs) you can tell that they really felt proud of themselves. Like, watching the movie, you're like, this person... You're like, the director was like, yeah, I paralleled that other scene. Yeah, I set this table. Like, <laughs> like you can tell that, like, that, hey, that the writers and the director were very about making this. Hey, I thought we'd save our comparisons to Argo for later. Stop! <laughs> oh, um, 
I did want to say something just for the record on this podcast. I do not come from a home of two divorced parents. My parents are still together, have been since before I was born, all that jazz. Just, I think that's maybe important context for us talking. I'll get into that in one second. I Mm -hmm. did want to say, relating to the gross thing, uh, writer and director, same person. (laughs) (laughs) I believe it entirely. Based Mm -hmm. on a book by Avery Corman, um, and we'll come back to that. Uh, I do have divorced parents. They're separated for a long time, still friendly, though that happened when I was much older. Yeah, and I will say that I come from a home of divorced parents, but divorced when I was young, similar to the kid, I guess, because I was definitely like around like school age, but elementary school. And I did like not go back and forth, like living back and forth, but I did predominantly live with one parent um, and then sort of toss around a little, but not like living in the other parent's house, more like visiting. Talking over this film with the friend I watched it with, can I give my very short, brief explanation for why this movie, for this movie's biggest failure? Yes. Sure. We get to see his biggest achievement and her worst moment. Yeah. Uh, Yes, yes. It's not just that. I, I think it's that we see... The mom being positive? Never. Yeah. One of the things that bothered me immensely (laughs) watching watching this movie was seeing Meryl Streep consistently with the pink eyeliner under her eyes as if she's constantly crying at at every single scene. She's at the verge of tears. Apparently, this was like her first big role, and apparently um, the the character as written in the novel and the original script was way more hateful, which, uh, by the way, checks out. Yeah, absolutely checks out. I'm uh, not surprised. Jordan no. said, man, they really gave Meryl Streep nothing to work with here. She had to bring no. it all to the table. <laughs> and, and I'm going to be honest here. I don't think she succeeded. Like, she's doing a good job acting, for sure. But, like, this is a character who leaves for a year and a half. No contact with her child. Mm -hmm. Not a call. Not a letter. Nope. Gone. And then comes back and attempts to get custody. Full custody. Which is insanity, also. Crazy. And also, too, like trigger warning but like this movie starts off with joanna's character like saying goodbye and good night to her son the 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 near promotion of the husband and then literally joanna threatening suicide um and saying she has to leave her son behind or she'll die yeah and we're just gonna we're going to casually roll over the fact that the movie is like, but motherhood, am I right? The thing (laughs) about it is that it doesn't, it's so uneven handed, right? Because what it is, is it does not, in my opinion, in my personal opinion, it doesn't show the, I mean, that is an insane, don't leave your kid. (laughs) Obviously. (laughs) Obviously. Obviously. 
it does not show her side as in it does not show the immense pain that someone must go through to be brought to that point. Exactly. Well, and that's it just the gives thing. that vague insight into her mental health, which to be fair, I mean, Kramer V Kramer is from 1979. I honestly was surprised <laughs> when there was that scene where he explained that he forced her to be something that she wasn't. I was like, okay, Kramer V Kramer. I did not expect a scene like this. Not giving you points, but still. Exactly. Like the, the fact that they slid that line in there, I was like, Oh, huh. You know, that's kind of impressive for the time that this movie came out. Um, but I think that's 100% what all the white dude reviewers who called this movie even handed in 1979. That's what, that's it. That's exactly what we talked about because I realized I was like, he said that. And then I started to get on his side and I was like, wait, 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 I'm being hypnotized by the writing to love this guy. And then also too, like. Think about like the way that the writing tries to compare and contrast uh, Joanna to her friend, her friend Margaret, where Margaret has a whole monologue where she talks about being loyal to her shitty husband post-divorce and <laughs> and like says like until death do us part, even mm-hmm. though her husband quite literally is with another woman who is described vaguely as being like younger, almost as though he like traded her in. But her, like, loyalty to him post-divorce is, like, framed as virtuous. Yeah, she gets, like, rewarded. It's very... She gets rewarded with her shitty husband back. Plus, she switches sides with these friends real quick. The audacity. Dustin Hoffman's, like, best friend. Which (laughs) is one of the more believable relationships in the movie. But also, like, huh? (laughs) Dustin Dustin Hoffman's relationship with her is a bit weird, right? Weird, ain't it? I I think that's her on the butt like twice. I think that I don't know. I didn't think it was very. I don't think it was super weird, but I think it was weird because we didn't see them transition to becoming friends. Really, at the beginning, he's a he. Because, like, it starts off with him being like, you did this to my wife, and you're the reason she left. And then it transitions to, we're the single parents club. Um, And then, like, at the end, it moves into, like, but Joanna, you have to understand, he's a changed man. (laughs) Um, While simultaneously, we see during the court case, um, which, for our listeners... There's a court case over the child that we haven't really talked about. We, uh, we have to, but, we have to like seed because I have like but there's, an hour to talk about that. Oh. I know, right? But there's quite literally like a part in the court case where Joanna mentions uh, that she did talk to, or sorry, Mar- Margaret, the friend, mentions that she talked to Joanna, the wife, about leaving, even though she explicitly told. Ted Kramer uh, or Dustin Hoffman that she had no part in that. And that's never resolved. Swinging back around to Meryl Streep for a sec. I, I think I, so kind of piggybacking on what you said, David, the thing that makes this movie like detestable to me is that Dustin Hoffman is a real character. Mm-hmm. Like he's a 
dick a lot of the time. He's awful in mm-hmm. ways that I don't think are it, like I don't like him, but he feels real. Meryl Streep is not a real character. No. She's a caricature of a woman. Yes. She's not a full villain, but the ways in which she's not a villain are just as gendered and weird. And so there's just there's nothing there's and nothing that she can do. The biggest thing to think about is that the perception of this film is that it's even-handed when it's not because we don't get to see things like the descent into a point where you would kill yourself rather than stay with your child. We don't get to see her trying to seek help while in L.A. We don't see th- things that a reasonable full, reasonable full person is trying to do. Instead, we get her presented in court, and she's saying what she has done, but we have just spent the entire movie seeing what Dustin Hoffman has done, which is what puts us, and what is deliberately, as the film is intentionally trying to do, putting us on Dustin Hoffman's side. Exactly. You basically have the show rule applying to our sympathetic character, our bad dad, Ted Kramer. Um, and then we have our like, oh, tell portion of that, uh, being on Joanna's side. Like she talked about wanting a career during the court case and how he downplayed the idea of her doing it, saying she wouldn't even make enough money to afford a babysitter. That's a big deal. And that's like a big thing. That's like soul crushing and terrible for somebody to say to you, uh, especially like someone who you're married to, to dismiss your dreams in that way. And it's casually talked about in a way that well in a scene that also specifically sets ted as being sympathetic Uh, the only way this movie could be even handed would be if it had two main characters and Mm -hmm. it doesn't yeah that's very about ted kramer joanna i think yeah joanna kramer is a side character and the antagonist because she comes back after a year and a half and is like, I want custody, which is objectively crazy. Yes. But that's what the movie's trying to do. Well, they did say the main point of the movie in the movie, consistency, patience, and love. Women don't have a corner on of the market on those things, and men don't have less of those emotions. Like, if this film wanted to be what I wished it was, what I got from it, right? It would be a film with two main characters where we focused on her growing after she left the court case. And then the film itself would be about how the court system is completely incapable of handling situations like this in the society that we live. I mean, we could talk about the court case because um, that was one of the most insane, ridiculous, like alternate universe Forts I've ever seen. Yeah, the way that they introduced all of that is like, we're going to have to play dirty. And I'm not saying Family Court is clean, but I am saying that the way they... Is galvanized the right word? Uh, (laughs) Because it was... Like, the way the lawyer, like, recommended having a pros and cons list for keeping his son. The way that, like, she was on the stand and demeaned for, like, having partners. There are, like, elements. Like, like the, the lawyer 
making him do the pros and cons list. I loved because that felt like something that would happen. I feel like a, like a lawyer who's done this a thousand times would be like, yeah, do you really want to do this? Cause it's going to take everything you got. Uh, it's going to take money and every thing. like ounce of your heart. <laughs> yeah. Right. And obviously, I mean, you guys are aware of what women go through on the stand all the time. <laughs> However, nice. <laughs> there's a difference between even in, you know, something like a, like in a like sexual assault trial, what, you know, women can be put through. And this movie where a lawyer gets four feet from someone and screams at them like it's a witch trial. <laughs> it was ridiculous. <laughs> what goes on in this courtroom? The lawyer's like, admit that you're a failure. Let's it's you- not a question. <laughs> you can't do that in cross-examination. This is yeah. a bad judge. <laughs> Quite literally, the lawyer being like, you're not respectable. You're a failure at the one thing you thought you'd succeed at. Admit it. Was wild. I watched it with my friend Jesse uh, and, and Jesse's partner, Emma, and we were just losing our minds like what is happening just screaming i mean and to a much lesser extent him but i mean both sides ridiculous that was such a like fantasy version of a courtroom also nobody brings up partial custody but also too like i didn't even notice the yelling upon first viewing because and i'm gonna tell you i didn't even notice that as weird because you know what I was focused on the first time I saw this? Because I watched it twice. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I watched it twice because the first time I watched it, I was like, what the fuck did I just watch? So to make sure I like didn't just hate it, <laughs> I watched it again. The thing I was focused on during the court scene was the portion where Ted, uh, or well, the lawyer is hammering Joanna, right? And the way that that scene tries to play Ted as sympathetic by zooming in on Dustin Hoffman's face while the lawyer's screaming at her to tell her that she's a failure. Dustin Hoffman is like whispering to the camera that she's not a failure. And we're supposed to think he's a good man because of that. It's, it's, it's so crazy. And then she, I don't even remember exactly what he gets hit with. There's like a reverse of that. He gets hit with something. I know exactly what happened because I've, I, I like remember how when they met up for like their little lunch or whatever, after she got back from town and he bangs a glass off the table into the wall, it breaks. There's water on the wall, like a dis, like just anger. Right. Because essentially the lawyer brings up in court uh, or, well, he's angry that she wants to get full custody. And then in court, uh, they mention how uh, under his supervision, uh, you know, the child uh, uh, is scarred. Now he has a scar on his face from falling on the playground and had to get stitches. She like comes up to him and apologizes because she had told him that over dinner. That's the thing is if we had a character for Meryl Streep, that kind of a thing might land. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To me, I'm like, if he's like throwing glasses around, who was this man while they were married? 
Yeah, like, first of all, that doesn't come up. I would bring that up in the trial. Honestly, yeah. disproportional anger responses? Control yourself. <laughs> so that glass that Dustin Hoffman threw, Meryl Streep didn't know that was going to happen. Oh, my God. Um, Dustin Hoffman told the cameraman and not her. I hate people. Because he was abusive to Meryl Streep for basically this whole movie. I believe uh, that. In the guise of art. Because Dustin Hoffman is a bad person. Mm-hmm. I believe that because Meryl Streep is crying the entire movie. Yeah. Her crying the entire movie makes significantly more sense now. If they were both characters, I could see a scene like that. Something that he brought up to her, you know, before he knew they were at war. Coming back to bite him, that could be something that really lands. But here, it's nothing. It's just another example of Meryl Streep being the villain, and she is sad about it, so that means it's sympathetic. It's so strange, thing with him. too, because like it's it's shown like she did something dirty, but she apologizes to him, and he never apologizes for what his lawyer does to her, torturing her she on the stand not. for her mental health. Mm-hmm. He does not. He just has her- his little zoom in scene where he apologizes to the camera or endears himself to the camera by being like, You're not a failure. I care, but I'm not going to tell you because I'm going to tell the camera. View- viewers, what am I saying? Listeners, don't watch this movie, but I <laughs> cannot express. I can verbalize how crazy that courtroom scene is how he is screaming at her like a variety of things and the judge is cool with it and none of them are real questions like jamal it's all admissible dustin hoffman oh my gosh <laughs> <laughs> yeah. dustin hoffman does not apologize is wild <laughs> oh uh, and yeah, the kid, well, and the kid falling, uh, that's one of the times the movie seems real, you know, mm-hmm. kid falls. It really does. It seems really real. The way that they zoomed in on, uh, the faces of each of the adults as they were talking to each other, uh, both Margaret and, um, Ted, and then like the slight shake of the camera as it like zooms back and forth that like, it made you feel like, oh my God. Something is about to happen. This kid is about to fall and they're going to miss it. You felt alarmed. Yeah. And it works really well. And it, yeah, it's really solid. Um, I'll say, and I think I'm going to use this to transfer us maybe over to Argo. I had one more thing to say, but go ahead. Okay, then. Well, well, I was just going to say there are things you said don't watch this movie. And I think the standpoint it takes overall is detestable, as you put it. But I don't think that this movie is completely without merit, in a way. The character it focuses on, uh, Dustin Hoffman's character, is, he, is a, he is a character, he's a full character. <laughs> I like, I feel for him at times, I, um, I get angry at him, he feels like a full person, which is nice. <laughs> For sure. I mean, Uh, there are scenes that I like. There's there's cinematography moments that I like. I would argue that in a way like I mean, okay, yes, I agree with Jamal. The movie is detestable. Uh, Obviously, um, as somebody who is female watching this movie is very upsetting. But uh, (laughs) 
<laughs> but uh, I also think that in a way, um, this movie humanizes parenting mm-hmm. um, in a way that I think is pretty unique. It shows like parents being actually upset about things in the way that that gets taken out on children sometimes. It shows the way that being a parent, and I understand that because of the time period, it was talking about being a man, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and being a man that's not expected to spend time with his kids because you're supposed to be focusing on being the breadwinner, right? Mm-hmm. And how like those sort of things, like child rearing is supposed to be left to like the mother. But I think if you generalize it to just parenting, you know, I think it shows a lot more of the frustrations that come with parenting and how it's a learning experience if you ignore like the shitty context uh, (laughs) about how uh, he really was an absentee father for like the first five years of this kid's life. There are moments where it does try to feel like it it feels like it's being even handed, which we said earlier did surprise me because I was ready for this movie to uh, not be any sort of put any of that in. And finally, I really do think that Meryl Streep's acting and not the script, like Meryl Streep brought all of it to the table to give me sympathy for the mother. She really did. If it was not for her energy that she brought to the character, looking at the lines, just the script itself, you would not feel at all sorry. Yeah, like they said, like people may say that um, the lines that Dustin Hoffman say says, like you pointed out, Jamal, is what made people feel this movie was even handed. But in reality, it was probably Meryl Streep's performance, not portraying this person as like an evil witch and actually giving this person as much character as she could squeeze out of the line she was given that made it even feel somewhat close to pretending to be even-handed i agree with you david because looking at like ted uh, looking at dustin hoffman's lines where he's just like can't you see what she's done to me like so much of his lines are literally manipulated (laughs) against like Mm -hmm. his against like his wife and Mm -hmm. like that character and it's really it's it's really not his performance that does anything Mm -hmm. For for that even-handedness. I will say, uh, even though he's a shit-breath little shit man, um, Dustin doesn't put in the worst performance in this film. What I was going to mention was, I think, my, my favorite scene in the movie, because I agree with both of you. There are good things in the movie. I like how it chose parenting. I think Meryl Streep is great, and I think Dustin Hoffman does have a well-rounded character. Um, and I really like how i think i mentioned this before how the movie foregrounds going into a uh, a custody case and how that affects every part of ted's life actually uh, yeah and that and that's what i mean by like that general like it shows parenting and it shows like what it's like to be a, going through a divorce and to be going through a custody battle and how that impacts like family and parenting parents as people just outside of their like role of parent and the way that parent can impact like these other roles of employee um, of lover of whatever else. I think that that's really a good message in that's hidden in the shit. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, my favorite scene is 
where uh, during the part of the movie where he needs he gets fired and needs to find a job and goes up to a um, a company that's having a Christmas party actively and <laughs> yes. his way in and takes a massive pay cut. Um, everything relating to his job, I liked a lot mm-hmm. because uh, that you know, scene it, uh, impossible, but yes, it is a good scene. <laughs> ridiculous. Ridiculous. Also, like the fa- mm, I can't like I honestly like that scene was so ridiculous, super impossible, and it, uh, this is swinging a little bit back to the court case, but it makes me really mad because you know he took that pay cut right, and now he's actually making less than his wife is making, and and but it came down to motherhood. Right. Well, and that's and that's and to be fair, right, to be fair to the movie, that's huge. Tender doctrine is huge. Uh it's still big now in custody cases, and it was massive then. But the movie just ignores that. It's like well, I don't think it ignores it. I think that's the point. I think it is supposed to be set up as unfair to Dustin Hoffman that they fall back on this, but the movie is so like sexist in general that it's not equipped i think to to make a point on this that is a great way of putting it the way this movie has been written it is not equipped to make the point that it wants to make not even close i agree with both of you that there's definitely positive stuff in the movie um a lot of which you've said for me i just don't think it's worth it you can watch so many movies with that are much better at this <laughs> that have much mm-hmm. more uh, that have actual even-handed narratives and more real characters. Um, I just and Dustin Hoffman is a bad person. I don't know. It's just there's so much frustrating in it that I can't in good faith recommend it even for the positive stuff no i get it that's why i said waiting in the shit like i don't i wouldn't recommend that people necessarily watch kramer v kramer but Mm -hmm. yeah uh if you would like to watch it know that you will be waiting through the shit to find the good things (laughs) Mm -hmm. That's that's a good way of putting it yes yes I would say that's a great way to jump over to Argo because boy, do I have comparisons to Argo between these two. <laughs> oh, I didn't realize how many there were. Uh, the I do you want to start with comparisons or you just want to start talking about your experience of watching Argo first? Um, oh, watching Argo for what the third time, fourth for fourth me, time for you, third time for me. Fatigue is setting in. Fatigue oh, is really setting in. <laughs> I am already tired of watching the introduction to Argo, which is so serious, oh, but man. does nothing for the rest of the film. Uh, things I noticed this time. Oh, we talked about how Brian Cranston is uh, a villain. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, Brian Cranston is a CIA higher up, and so uh, in reality whoever he's based on 
was a bad person who did bad things because the CIA <laughs> is just evil. Most of so, his lines uh, pertain to letting someone else take the blame for the death. Pretty uh-huh. much. He's just like, well, you know, sometimes you crack a few eggs, even though you're going to be wrong and you know the eggs are going to crack. Wait, what? These are people. These are people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And like we're supposed to see him as pretty good natured and like, he's a hero at the end. And no. when it really comes down, like the chips are down, he comes through, but it's like, no, no. I mean, first of all, he was going to let them die. And also like, he's behind like 40 coups in South America. Yeah. Lots of people are dead because of him. <laughs> but also it's like, not only that, but bringing it back to just this part of the movie, he was going to let them die. <laughs> I mean, yes. And to be fair, I guess to him, he doesn't think he has a choice, I guess. Because mm. he can't stop the operation. It's a state operation. He can't stop uh, the evils of bureaucracy. Except except Ben Affleck stops it by going over his head and using his name. So I guess he totally could have stopped it, huh? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he just didn't want to because he did say it's like he 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 was like it's like talking to those two old fucks from the Muppets so you just didn't want to talk to these two guys <laughs> he didn't want to put his reputation on the line if it didn't work which is he did, why he did say he wasn't getting a timeshare out of it I really hate how at the end of the movie the, the CIA guys are sitting around and they're like we're the good guys for once and it's like no, you're still Stop not. Playing glib. Stop <laughs> being glib about how the CIA are evil, Ben Affleck. Well, you still made this situation happen. <laughs> yeah, like you started the problem. There wouldn't have been the problem if you hadn't started the problem. It's well, and actually, that's a nice comparison. Yes, Just thank like you. Kramer versus Kramer. Uh, <laughs> we don't see any of the buildup. The movie doesn't care about the Iranians. No, that is exactly the comparison I was going to make between. There is a divorce story oh, in Argo. But from under you. How does it feel to get cucked? <laughs> well, I'm just explaining it, you son of a bitch. Uh, <laughs> there, there is a divorce story within Argo, but that is not the comparison I'm going to make because it is very much the divorce story of Kramer versus Kramer is very much. Uh, the Iranians versus America in this uh, in Argo. It you is- heard it here first. The Iranians divorcing from America is the same as Kramer versus Kramer. I will. When s- you think of divorce and Iranians, think of the Argo rule. <laughs> because we are giving, like, we are attempted to be. They attempt to give us some kind of background for the Iranians and tr- attempt to be a- even handed. But in the end, th- th- Mr. Kramer's the good guy. <laughs> <laughs> it really is that though. Cause like we don't see any of the fuckery that leads up to it. And then we're given a story where the person who caused the fuckery is the good guy. And we get no, there are no actual Iranian characters, Iranian characters. I should say it correctly. There's Sahar, I guess, the maid who we talk about in every episode. And uh, <laughs> wait, wait, wait! Yes. You want to point out the funny thing that you? Uh... <laughs> it really hit me this time. 
<laughs> funny is the wrong word. Tragically funny. Funny, funny is not the <laughs> tragic comic. Go for uh, it, Jamal. Funny. At the end of the movie, Sahar, her happy ending that she gets for saving the Americans, because that's how you're a good person if you help white people. Um <laughs> Sahar escapes Iran. We don't know why she even wants to or why she would have to. It, I, it's, but she does. She escapes Iran, and uh, there's a big triumphant scene where she escapes into Iraq <laughs> in <laughs> 1979, I think. Wait. Wait a second. Holy crap. The actual events of Argo happened the same year Kramer versus Kramer came no. out. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> I refuse. Okay. I feel bad that I did not do research and notice that earlier, but it's very funny that it's happening now. <laughs> so hurt. <laughs> Yo, it's canon. Wow. <laughs> they're happening it's it's the same universe same universe it's the mcu there's uh, nothing that says there isn't so at the same time that ted's kid falls onto the ground and cuts his head somebody in iran is getting shot in an alley oh my god anyway so sahar escapes to iraq in 1979 honey that's not that's not it's not safe <laughs> you you got 10 years. That's that's max. 10 years max. You get 10 years and then America is going to ruin the country for two decades. I think at that point in the film when we all saw that, I think there was a audible, ooh, <laughs> that arose. That's hit me every time, but not, not as hard as this time for me. <laughs> of realizing, oh, she's going to die. Because of the first time the war, or, or the sanctions and the bombing that we put on Iraq, or, or the second war, she's going to die. It's very somber. Brian Cranston is going to order a drone strike that kills Sahar in 2009. Were there any other major comparisons that I would have between the two? Um, we have fun here on the Argo rule. We really do looking at sobering takes oof the stuff that i that have has been on my mind has been uh insert absentee father ben affleck being portrayed as sympathetic for wanting to call his son every once in a while and <laughs> and the wife doing all the work of raising the son can we admit though it does seem like he uh well he's probably a better father <laughs> We oh. never see him scream at his child. He never or angrily he, make French toast. You mean he never, uh, in fact, uh, yells, "I hate you back, you little shit." <laughs> he never calls his son filthy while they walk to school. Yeah, this movie really—I don't. <laughs> he never tries do to well with trip like, his child for being upset that he was late to pick him up. He just actually apologizes for missing the birthday. This movie uh, did not like make me feel unhappy because of a like verbally abusive parenting. Mm -hmm. So that's a point in Argo's favor. Yes, but I will say that Argo does 
no effort to focus on the uh, on that element of its film. I'd say it's maybe ten minutes of the runtime tops. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, absolutely. So like, of course, I think we're gonna have that opinion just because of lack of info. <laughs> <laughs> That's an interesting stylistic comparison. Kramer v. Kramer. Dang it! Now I'm saying it. You. Mm. <laughs> We got you. Damn. Uh, It's a loose movie. It's very naturalistic and scenes are long, not over long, but long. And there's not a huge amount of plot. It just sort of goes forward. Yeah. I think that's actually, though, a point in its favor a little bit because, yeah, because like once Craver B. Framer gets the like ball rolling, uh, it was kind of nice to like. Af- yeah. I mean, post the bizarre, post the bizarre cooking scene and shit like that. It was kind of nice to just see the scene of like him teaching his son to ride a bike and like the Halloween play and like oh, they're just gonna show this the the really nice fa- like father like son scene where they both get up and don't wash their hands after they pee. <laughs> <laughs> and then sit down at the table and like eat breakfast. Like that was a very nice scene. I honestly said to Jordan when we were watching it that that scene where they like quietly act exactly the same is that like that three minute sequence honestly works as a better short film to, to express what Kramer v. Kramer is trying to get across than the entirety of Kramer v. Kramer. Honestly, that's a really great point because I actually loved that scene. And, then, great. and if you took it out of the context of this like movie, it would be wonderful. Argo, on the other hand, is all plot. Argo is, th- th- there is character but it's it's squeezed in like it's john goodman and alan arkin and a few of the like survivors or uh house guests i suppose mm-hmm. um and ben affleck twice and that's it <laughs> all right uh okay so segments did you have a favorite like did a character stand out to you and did a scene stand out to you that you want to talk about oh from argo okay i like how the oh Canadian ambassador did nothing. That <laughs> <laughs> really stood out to me how he just didn't do anything in the movie at all. <laughs> he does. He does absolutely nothing, doesn't he? Does it? Fuck all. He stands there and looks worried as he talks to. Uh... <laughs> yeah. He has more or less one sentiment throughout the entire movie, which is, "Please get these people out of my house so I can leave my house." <laughs> Yeah, he's like, we can talk, but we can only talk in private, away from cameras. Please get out of my home. I would like to not die. Thank you. Um, And then do I have a favorite scene? I mean, it's just got to be every moment that um, that Alan Arkin, National Treasure Alan Arkin is in. National Treasure Alan Arkin, that's of course. I always want to call him Alpha Aiken for some reason. Jamal, did National you Treasure any- Alan Arkin. That's a that's a quick shout out to uh, Hate No Eight show Hate No Eight that you can listen to. Jamal, did you have a favorite scene as well? Um, <laughs> or a favorite character? I don't know if I had a favorite scene. I did have a favorite character. Uh, 
so in the beginning of the movie during the um the riots which David you referred to as like a zombie movie which was a really good observation <laughs> it really was I mean that's how it's filmed that's how it's shot I yeah mean, yeah it's framed as uh, a angry mindless mob when that is not in fact the case well, I mean, thankfully today we don't sort of characterize protesters and and groups as just mobs. Do so. not do this to me. <laughs> In the year of our Lord, twenty twenty. Do not do this to me on our podcast, The Argo Rule. <laughs> uh, Follow me at Just Certified on Twitter uh, for more on that. Oh boy, um, I really liked. Uh, there's the head of the security at the embassy. Uh, I like mustachioed like he looks like he's 22 or something, but he's telling he keeps giving orders and they are immediately not followed. Just instantly do not use tear gas unless you're fired upon <laughs> instant cut to them firing tear gas out of the windows with no provocation. Just or, as soon as they get the tear gas, it is in fact fired. Instant. He's like, you have to hold. You have to hold no matter what. And then he says, I'm going to go outside to reason with them. No. He opens the door, and within 10 seconds, he is bound, blindfolded, slammed up against the door, and is screaming, let me in. Open the door. Open it. I love that. One <laughs> second reversal. Of just, he made a bad decision and he knew it was a bad decision so, so quickly, fast. So quickly after he made it was the regret setting in. <laughs> you never get instant response like that. Oh my God. Oh, that's. Good. And if it was played for comedy in the film, it would have been a great joke. It really would have. <laughs> it really it was very funny. It would have been like that smash cut that they do in all movies where it's like, I would never do that. And then smash cut to them like doing it. <laughs> it's one, it's one, like, it's two editing choices away from that. <laughs> I think my favorite uh, scene this time around was like that stroll through the office with Brian Cranston <laughs> where it's just that long shot of them, like that long smooth shot of them walking through while casually talking about how these uh, ambassadors are going to die. Just it's such a West wing shot for something that does not need that. Yeah. And, but at the same time, it definitely like kept me in the movie, I guess. Like you're in shock yeah. about what they're talking about, but watching like Brian Cranston smoothly walk through the office without looking around very much feels grounded in a way. Like, yeah, of course, he just knows his way around the office. <laughs> and I think I think that grounded thing is what this movie is going for most of the time, which I feel like it misses. <laughs> and in I don't know, I feel like it, I feel like Argo feels more like a heist movie and therefore misses the grounded feeling. Uh, and there are very small scenes and snippets that give that. And I think that was one of them. 
It's very over the place tonally, which we've talked about before. But actually, I did want to get your thoughts on that, David. Did the tonal shifts, especially between Hollywood and Iran, how did that feel to you? Yeah. And that maybe is a good way to segue. I don't think it was the... (sighs) (laughs) I don't think it was the biggest problem issue because they keep them pretty divided in the film. Like, I know when he goes to Iran that it's going to be very different than the movie sequences and that the movie sequences, uh, Hollywood sequences are kind of like a setup. So it didn't feel like it was really jarring to me because location changed, which kind of gave me a tonal uh, indication of tonal change. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't. To me, it's not jarring. It just feels weird to me it's jarring because even the music changes like for me well one of the few things i'll say that's consistent from the first half of argo we'll say to the second half is just the back shots of ben affleck (laughs) 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 where we just like very consistently see you know what that's my favorite character back shots of ben affleck uh, <laughs> uh, against like various like scenes of him looking at windows and walls, but tone wise, like I feel like it's all over the place except for that. That is a grounding element. Yeah, because you're just like, oh, here's another scene of this man who is our main character, Tony Mendez, once again looking like he is struggling while drinking while the camera is uh, showing us his, just his back. So we can just constantly be reminded of how broad. Uh, <laughs> you did put me on to how much of a square boy Ben Affleck is Yo, in this movie. Ben Affleck is square for no reason. I just, we, you just continually watch it. The more I watch this, the more I'm like, how many back shots are there? I'm going to count next time. Uh, tune in for that next time for how many back shots are there of Roblox Ben Affleck? <laughs> Lego boy Ben Affleck. <laughs> ben Affleck in that one uh, 6ix9ine video with Kanye West. David, would you like to wrap up or begin a wrap up? Yeah, uh, I was just going to say that I think if the main conceit of this podcast is to compare the different Oscar winners to Argo and to use Argo as kind of like the midpoint, then if Argo's the midpoint, I'm going to have to say that like, man, Kramer v. Kramer falls like right on that midpoint, if not just below. Cause it, it it's like exactly what we said, where it's like, there are good things <laughs> about Kramer v. Kramer. But, like, there's also, like, 50% of movies that have been made that I would recommend you watch before Kramer v. Kramer. <laughs> like, every film I, like, I, I even like, I would recommend before Kramer v. Kramer. There are a lot of films I would recommend Kramer v. Kramer above, but I don't know. I guess if I were to come down to it, I would say, I guess watch Argo before you watch Kramer v. Kramer, but, like, just barely. I actually That's- really love that explanation. <laughs> Because uh, I feel pretty similarly to you in that. Although I would take it up a a little bit of a notch and I would say, you don't have to watch Kramer v. Kramer because you could watch Argo. (laughs) (laughs) 
I mean, yeah. <laughs> For me, I, I I definitely like Kramer v. Kramer, I think, less than you two do. For me, it is sub- significantly under the Argo bar, because Argo is is neutral to me, although the more I watch it, the less neutral I will feel. <laughs> um, but Kramer v. Kramer is not neutral to me. I don't like it. It. I feel like it's sexist and bad, and it makes me feel gross. I guess Argo also makes me feel gross. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's the point. That's like, yeah, they're kind of at the same level. They both because you feel a little skeevy, just in different ways. Yeah. Yes, but Argo also took me three watches. Like I've seen it four times, and I'm hitting. I'm barely hitting the level of skeeved that I was within one watch of Kramer v. Kramer. You know, I think for me, I might have. I think that the way that you feel right now, Jamal, is the way I felt. Upon my first watch, watching Kramer mm. Kramer, I think because I watched it a second time, uh, because I hated it so much the first time that I didn't want to talk about it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think if I hadn't watched it a second time to like mellow myself out and also to find more of the things that I did like about it, I think I would have your same reaction. I don't think that it passes our Argo rule. But, no, it is definitely below the line. I will yeah. say that you, we are correct there. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, I also I I just think I'm not having as strong of a reaction because I watched it twice. That's fair. That's fair. I did not, and I am happy I didn't. Yep, that's fair. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as I'm, I said, I'm, watch Argo again before you watch. Anyways, you guys, Argo rule stamp. Watch Argo again. Before you watch Kramer v. Kramer. <laughs> is that the is that the question? Is it yeah. watch Argo again or watch this? Awesome, <laughs> Somehow buddy. it became Argo v. Kramer. Oh, <laughs> right. Are you ready to wrap up? Oh, I think Argo v. Kramer is a good note to end on. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> oh, David, thank you so much for joining us. Of course. Thank you so uh, much for joining us. David, where can we find you? Uh you can find me at uh Robots into Guys on Instagram. And um you can find my podcast, Robots into Guys, uh more or less everywhere podcasts are sold. <laughs> uh that just being Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh Google Podcasts, all that jazz. Great. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much for, uh, thank you. for on the pod. The pod. Can we get have it? Get it. Gotta be on the pod. You gotta be on the pod. As always, uh, go listen to Hate and Await. It's also on everything. David's been on episodes. Jess has been on episodes. It's a good time. I'm Jamal B. Berenger on stuff. And you can find me on social media at Just the Remix on Instagram and Twitter. <laughs> It's Jess. This episode was a wild ride. So let us know what you thought about Kramer vs. Kramer. And don't forget to follow us at The Argo Rule on social media. All Systems Argo was edited and processed using Alitu and Audacity. 
The music in this episode was Dirty Beat Roots by Futuristic Caveman. Special thanks to editor and producer Ian for their work on this episode. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.